Welcome to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. There are so many challenges involved in the college process, including choosing the right college, planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton. Welcome, everyone, to today's episode of Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. I'm Sally Ganga, and I'm filling in for Beth Heaton, the regular host. Now on to today. For my second segment, I'll be talking with Olivia Sojadia, a college coach, educational consultant, and a veteran of the University of Southern California and American University Admission Offices. We'll be discussing summer volunteer programs. For my third segment, Shannon Vasconcelos, finance consultant for College Coach and a regular guest on the podcast, will be discussing how to negotiate scholarships with colleges. But first, I'm welcoming Elise Krantz, a former admission officer at Barnard and Bennington Colleges and a veteran College Coach education consultant to discuss trends that we saw from the early action and early decision rounds. Welcome, Elise. Hi, Sally. Hi, thanks so much for being here today. Oh, looking forward to our chat. Great. So listen, tell me, what are some of the trends that we've seen from the uh, early decision and early action rounds? I know it can vary from public to private, et cetera, but, you know, what are some of the more notable um, sort of patterns that you've seen? So we've, um, I know that we've discussed on the podcast recently some of the early action results, specifically as it relates to the University of Michigan. And for anyone who's interested in that podcast, definitely check it out. It was a great discussion between Ian and Tova. Um, but I looked across our data um, from a range of schools, as you mentioned. So I was looking at some of our very popular, more selective colleges, looking at some of the large public universities, and the trend seems to be pretty similar to what has been happening lately um, in, in admissions, which is more and more students are applying to college, either early action or early decision or both. And should we pause for a second just to quickly explain what ED and EA is and the distinction between the two? Yeah, I think that might be a good idea because people get that mixed up a lot. So, yeah, let's start with, let's start with that. Go ahead. Okay, so, and I think it's important to understand the distinction because it, it often, it ex- helps explain, I think, some of the results that we see. So early mm-hmm. decision um, is a binding process, right? So you would apply usually on November 1st, maybe November 15, and you will hear back usually in December about whether or not you've been accepted. And if you have been, that's it. You're done. Like, you're in, you're good, you don't apply anywhere else, you're set. And if you apply early action, the deadline are usually very similar, but the difference is is that you are not committing to go to that institution even if you are accepted. So it lets you keep your options open. And so the acceptance rates for early decision and early action schools are often quite different. So in this year's round, we were seeing for early decision applications, um, it's usually the case because colleges know they're locking these students in, they are often more generous in accepting students in the early decision round. Granted, these are all very qualified applicants, but since they know that these students are gung-ho, they're ready, they're saying yes to the institution, that they can make those offers knowing that all of those students will be coming. It's not going to affect their yield down the road. Um, But what's happening, which is so interesting with early action, is that we used to say that there wasn't really a real benefit in terms of the admission strategy. You're not going to see uh, an increase necessarily between applying early action and a regular decision. But now what we're seeing is that it's sometimes the early action rate is actually a little bit lower than what is happening in, in, regular, in regular decision. And what we mean by that is students who normally would have been admitted in that early action round are being deferred to the regular pool. Sometimes they're getting in after being deferred. Sometimes they're not. But more and more, these early action colleges are holding off on admitting very, very qualified students because they want to see them within the context of the larger pool. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty, and that's interesting because that's a, that's a tough one for me because I know that there are some 
public universities like University of Maryland. I mean, I haven't been on their website recently, but at least a couple years ago, um, it, they explicitly said, if you're applying from out of state, you should apply early action to get the most favorable consideration. So I don't know if they're deferring a lot of those students, but at least in some cases, I mean, in general, I tell students just in case apply early. It doesn't mean you'll get in, but it means that at least you won't be looked upon less favorably. So what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, I don't, I agree. I don't think it, it's never going to hurt your chances to apply early action. And I agree that it does help demonstrate interest. It shows them that you were able to be responsible enough to get your application together on the early side. Um, and for schools like Maryland, you know, Maryland is certainly a selective college, but it's not where, let's say, the University of Michigan is. And so mm-hmm. I think for Maryland, it makes sense that when they're saying, yes, we want our out-of-state students to apply early, they want that. And I agree. And I looked at our numbers. We had, within the college coach group, about 18 or so students who used the priority or early action deadline for Maryland. And so far, we haven't heard back from all of our students. They're not always... Um, They don't always let us know right away when they get their results, but it looks like we've had six or so of those admitted, and none have reported that they've been deferred. So, Hmm. so far, I mean, it's it's seeming pretty good for Maryland. We have other instances with other universities, like the University of Arizona. All ten of our early applications were admitted. Mm -hmm. um, With University of Indiana and its very popular school of business, the Ross, uh, not, uh, it's not the Ross School, what is it, the, um, totally blanking on their business school name. Yeah, I can't remember either. The Kelly, the Kelly School of Business. Thank you, yeah. Um, we had 11 apply early action to Indiana and all 11 were accepted, so it's not the case that all early action schools are getting really hyper competitive the way Michigan seems to be trending, um, but it, it does seem to be the case where, where, because so many st- students are applying early action, it's not that same level of comfort, that same level of guarantee that a strong application will necessarily stand out in that pool. Right. Are there other schools? I mean, so Michigan, of, um, I mean, I believe that of public universities that have early action that are sort of general public universities, so I'm setting aside like a Georgia Tech, for example, for the moment, um, University of Michigan is probably the most selective. I mean, the only other public universities that might be more selective or or in the same range might be UC Berkeley and UCLA, and they don't have the early. They just have one process, one basic um, uh, application period and deadline. Um, What about schools that are sort of a little less selective than Michigan? Like, I kind of think about schools like Wisconsin. I mean, we already talked about Maryland, which is selective, but not quite as much. Do you have any other examples of schools in kind of that range? Sure. So I was also looking at um, schools like two, uh, we were talking about public universities. So University of Georgia is one that I looked into as well, because that is becoming a real hot school for students all across the country. It's not necessarily a school that students just in the South are looking at. Um, So we don't have huge numbers applying to Georgia, but it does seem to increase every year. Uh, And this year we had about six students who applied early, and half of those were accepted, three were accepted, and two of them were deferred to the regular um, pool. So we've only heard back, I think, from five of them or so. But that does seem to be, um, I think, a similar trend. So they're they're not necessarily getting – they're getting more competitive each year, I feel, but it's not to the point where students who normally would be seen as a good fit are being turned away from from that tier of public Mm -hmm. institution. Okay, and it sounds like the worst-case scenario in most cases is a defer. Is that accurate? Right. So some universities will deny straight out from early decision or early action if they feel that the fit is completely not there and there's no real hope for redemption in the regular decision pool. But for many colleges, they're deferring because they do want to see additional grades. They do maybe want to give that student a chance to submit some additional writing um, or another letter of recommendation. So um, deferral usually is, is the way that it would, the result would go if it's not going to be an acceptance. Yeah, I know that when I was, uh, I actually had the the opportunity to visit University of Georgia in, I don't know, late November, December or something, and uh, I think November, but in any case, they really stressed applying early, they really wanted students to apply early, but they were like, you know, we will defer you if we want additional information, and so, Mm -hmm. you know, that those first semester grades for some students 
um, can be a really, really important aspect that they don't have a chance to look at. But honestly, they said, even in the case of a student who's afraid that their profile is weaker and they think they can bring it up, they still wanted those students to apply early. It was pretty interesting. So uh-huh. I think we can we can come away by saying that at least with public universities that we are recommending those early action or sometimes they're called priority deadlines. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I would absolutely, I would absolutely agree with that. Um, and I would also wanted to mention some great statistics that I received from the Common Application as mm-hmm. well, because so many schools, including a lot of the public universities that we've been talking about accept the common application, and every year they compile these statistics, and their help desk is so lovely. I email them, it seems like once a week during the busy admission season, and they always get right back to me, and I ask them, do you have any great early stats you can share with me? And they provided me with a a lovely uh, range of statistics, Um, and I thought this was so interesting that for this year's group of students, so those who just applied um, in the fall of 2017 and are graduating in 2018, that they are up in terms of early applications. So students who submitted an application through November 1st, it was up 20% over last Mm. year. I mean, this is, and, and I saw a quote, I think it was from the Harvard admissions office, early is the new normal. I mean, this is just more and more students are recognizing that it can help tremendously applying early decision in the regular, uh, uh, excuse me, applying early decision with the, the binding program can help compared to applying regular. Sometimes the acceptance rates like actually double what you would find, early decision versus regular. Um, mm-hmm. But even for the early action schools, whether it's a place like a Maryland or an Arizona or a Wisconsin, you know, they, even, at, even at a more selective school like Michigan that applying that early gets your foot in the door, gets the process going, um, and hopefully worst-case scenario is that you would be deferred. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of, I mean, this is sort of a side note that, um, you know, our students who are applying, you know, for the fall of 2019 don't need to worry about, but I just kind of wonder if colleges are going to either move up the deadlines even earlier, like UGA is October 15th, are they going to make it October 1st, or like, are they just going to go to some sort of blanket deadline for everybody because they just can't keep it up, you know, at least the early action schools. That's kind of my, um, hey. I don't know. It's just one of the things that I'm puzzling over because how can they read all those applications? I'm sure this would be an amazing conversation for another podcast, <laughs> but I think. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not trying no, no, to get no, no, this Sorry, go ahead. No, the. The response to that, I think, is that so many colleges now are moving into that direction of the committee-based reading, which speeds the process along, so which is, that is the other conversation. But, yeah, I agree with you that the numbers are so overwhelming, and that is uh, something that has happened to schools in the past where they, they are so inundated with early applications, they literally do not have the manpower to get through them all and are simply deferring them just to give them more time to evaluate them. Mm-hmm. Now, do you think it's as important to apply early action? I mean, I, we gave some detail about public universities, but I'm interested in, in private schools with early action deadlines. Do you think it's as important to apply early action for them? Again, I think that our advice holds. It's never going to hurt you. There's no downside to it. Um, mm-hmm. But is it actually going to be helpful to apply early action to, like I always think about Georgetown and Boston College, or even like Tulane, um, you know, Villanova, some of these more selective, these schools that range from highly selective to not quite as selective, but still pretty selective schools, you know, Elon University, like what do you think about those schools? We have seen, the, Northeastern was like the big shocker this year. It seems like it's shocking everybody every year where students who are, who are earning 1400s, 1500s on the SATs or 34s, 35s on the ACTs with really strong A or A minus averages, they are being deferred. And it's like, what is happening to the world of admissions when this is, you know, but Northeastern, like so many other colleges, they have just seen such an increase in numbers that they can afford to be more selective. So, yeah, the place like Villanova, same, we were hearing a lot of that from Villanova this year, too, um, where students were, that we would assume they're a great academic match, and yet they were being passed on into the regular pool, getting that deferral. So I think even though some of these schools, I don't think they're necessarily 
you know, the large ones necessarily aren't taking demonstrated interest into account yet, I, I can't help but think that sending in that early application, showing them that you, as I said before, that you had that responsibility to get that application together, that you did your research early enough in the year that you can identify a school that you have a, a, a sincere interest in, that's, that's always going to help a little bit. Um, what, what's, what's your take on it, Sally? Yeah, no, I agree. I think, you know, we just need to continue to go with there's no downside, but you just need to be more ready, as you said, to accept that you may very well be deferred. Um, You know, that's just and then while the college figures out what the rest of their pool is going to look like. So um, now let's talk just a little bit more before we wrap things up about um, like early decision. So I think, I mean, do you would are there a few, any colleges that you might be willing to name check? I mean, I think you, you mentioned already that some schools, their admit rate for early decision, and this is the binding one, are as much as twice as high uh, mm-hmm. compared to, to regular. Uh, are there some yeah. specific examples? Absolutely. I, I, these statistics are often published um, and so it's, you can find these. These aren't like hidden numbers. So it's it's easy to find that these acceptance rates are quite generous in early decision. One of the ones that sort of made the rounds here at College Coach people were emailing about was with Middlebury. Um, they fill about half of the class with early decision applicants, and their acceptance rate was around 50% for early decision students. Last year, their overall, and just to compare that, last year their overall acceptance rate was 17%. Um, and another example for you, uh, Johns Hopkins University, very selective school, their early decision rate this year was 30%. So 30% of ED students were getting in. Overall, they're including the regular pool last year was closer to 12%. Um, so I know that admissions officers will often say that it is not easier to get in early decision. It is easier, but they're, what, they're, what I think they're saying is they're not lowering their standards. These are all still very qualified students. They have special um, strengths that they will add to the university that the university wants to compliment them for, and you know they'll, they'll offer that acceptance to them in the early round. Um, but it is if for students who have done their research and for whom we need to add that the financial piece of it is not um, a major factor in their decision-making process that they can commit to an early school without knowing exactly what their financial aid package might be. You know, ED, it helps. It really does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I tell students that it will. And it's... <laughs> You know, it's a shame because just not every student is willing to commit. But, yeah, it really impacts colleges' yield numbers, and their yield numbers impact how they look in U.S. News and World Report. So, Uh um, I mean, I think the good news is, though, that we've got all these great schools that are early action, um, you know, and and, uh, that there are still these options for regular decisions. So everybody will have options. Um, and I, I think, you know, you kind of need to focus on the good news there. But if you are in love with a p- particular college, then early decision can be a really, really good option for you. Um, Absolutely. So anything, anything else, any, anything that I haven't asked you about early trends that I should have? Um, nothing super specific that comes to mind. I will say that... It's not necessarily a trend, but just general advice, I suppose, is that I did see a lot this year students who were being deferred from their early action school or early decision school, and then they had a complete meltdown and worried that they will get in nowhere. And I think it's important to remember that schools, even schools, peer institutions, schools that are very similar in terms of acceptance rates and the statistics that they're looking for from applicants, um, they're all, they're individuals. You know, these are these are different people reading your applications, and what may not impress one particular school could completely bowl over another admissions committee at a very similarly selective institution. Um, so, just because that initial deferral came in doesn't mean you're going to have no choices. Um, maybe you do want to reconsider your list a little bit if necessary. But I've I've I, all of the time when I've had a student be deferred, he or she will always have fantastic options at the end of the process. It's not the end of the world. It doesn't mean that you'll, you'll have no future home. 
Mm-hmm. Exactly right. I mean, I can tell you that at the University of Chicago, we loved the really nerdy kids, you know, and I know that like sometimes the essays they wrote for Chicago might not have been as interesting for some of the other schools, but we loved it. And our dean, I mean, they, they've got a new dean there now, but our dean back then was ready to take a total risk on a student who was sort of out there with an essay in a way that maybe not everybody would be. So, um, yeah, so everybody know there's a match. There's definitely a match out there for you. So, all right, Elise, thanks so much. My pleasure. Nice to talk with you. Uh, Okay, we're going to take a short break, but when we get back, Olivia Sajadia will be joining me to discuss summer volunteer programs. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Follow us on Twitter at Voice America TRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's Voice America TRN. Have you found the beauty inside of you? Join Bonnie Bonadeo each week for Beauty Inside and Out. We'll explain how beauty plays a part in everybody's lives. Our guests are makeup artists, hairdressers, and doctors. But we'll also feature holistic and wellness specialists and spiritual advisors. You can find that beauty inside and express it to its fullest on the outside. Tune in to Beauty Inside and Out every Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you looking to get more from your relationship? Why is it that some people just seem to have a better sex life, better marriage, and a closer, more meaningful relationship? Find out the best-kept secrets and more on The Sexy Lifestyle with Carol and David. Carol and David will share insight about the swinging lifestyle and how it has strengthened their love and marriage, not to mention their great sex. Tune in every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. As I mentioned before our break, Olivia Sajadia is now joining me. Welcome, Olivia. Hi, Sally. Thanks for having me. Oh, thanks so much for being on here. Um, So we're going to be talking about summer volunteering programs. So as distinct from a student who's just maybe doing some volunteer work on their own. Um, We all know there's a lot of benefits to volunteering in general. But what are some reasons that students would want to attend a summer volunteering program? They're going to be, it really runs the gamut, I would say. So a lot of students out there have a community service requirement for their high school and their hours that they need to complete. And summer can be a really good time when they don't have a lot of other stuff going on to really commit some time to to these volunteer opportunities. Um, So that's one reason. Another reason, it really can allow students to spend a lot of time on with organizations or with opportunities they're really passionate about. Um, During the school year, they might be able to commit a couple hours here and there, but overall, um, again, summertime will allow students to really dive deep into a particular activity or organization. Um, And it can also really help, I think, with maturity too, um, allowing students to really see that, whether it be a broad program, which I know we're going to discuss a little bit, which allow them to 
spend some time away from their family and their friends and really allow them to learn about uh, a new part of the world or a new culture. Um, and that can really help with maturity, too. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So what are some, I mean, kind of speaking of, obviously, there's a lot of different options. So what are some good examples of programs, like different kinds of programs that, that might be options? So there are some organizations that do some work overseas. Um, and I know something to always point out is that, you know, the I think that there are some certainly some benefits for doing some volunteer programs abroad and all speak to some that I found that look pretty appealing, but they're not always going to necessarily help you in the application process. Um, But they Mm -hmm. can, again, help with maturity, help with you um, if you're going abroad, potentially helping you learn a new language or uh, continue learning a new language. Um, And so, again, while it's not going to, you know, it's not going to show the admissions office necessarily um, something huge, it, cer- it certainly can, and it can really help you, too, as a student um, or your student's parents. <laughs> um, so a couple out there, uh, organizations that I found that I thought were particularly appealing, and I know we've worked with students who have participated in some of these programs in the past. Um, one of them is called Amigos. It's a volunteer and leadership program in Latin America and really allows students to immerse themselves in a new culture, There's a specific service project that a student works on while they're there and helps with Spanish skills and then ultimately, obviously, the friendships and things that come along with that as well. So I like an organization like that because they really allow, you know, for this service project, but at the same time, you're getting to know a new group of people and a new culture and really improve some Spanish skills if that's something that you're looking to do. Um, there are other programs. There's one with such a catchy name that, that I really like. It's called Where There Be Dragons. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not focused on Latin America specifically, although there are options there. Um, but there are really summer options all over the world, um, including India and China and parts of Africa and, and parts of Southeast Asia also. Um, and it's, it really allows you to search for areas of emphasis so it might just be that you're wanting to, to go abroad, but they also allow you to dive into specific service opportunities you want to do in any of those places abroad. Mm-hmm. So I'm another place a- that will allow you to, to discover some, some culture, maybe a new language or continue studying a language and have some of that service element as well. Yeah, and I, I want to give a shout out to that one, too, because I had a student who went to Burma, Myanmar, mm. on that program. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it would be allowed now, but they weren't, you know, it was still a military dictatorship, but they, it wasn't a violent place at that time, at least for visitors. And, uh, I mean, just the, the kind of exposure that she got to a country where things were so different from our own was exceptional enough that I thought, well, that's uh, that's pretty cool. You know, that goes beyond the norm. And uh, I will say that she actually went on a couple of those trips and her sort of maturity and um, view of the world overall was pretty exceptional. Also, because she was, like you said, she met a whole other group of people. She, she didn't go with people from her high school. She went with completely different people. It was a, it was a pretty remarkable experience. So I'll give a little thumbs up to programs like that. Definitely, definitely. And I think especially for students who are even considering going abroad when they're in college, as you said, this is a really good opportunity to explore another part of the world. And for those for students who are really passionate about that as high school students, opportunities like this can can really be great for them. So, wonderful. Mm-hmm. So how do you, I mean, I, how does a parent sort of determine, or a parent and a student kind of determine what is a good program? Was there any, were there any commonalities that you noticed? So I think that there are a couple of different things and some of the things that, you know, we, we continually discuss. So first of all, I think that getting an idea of really what the student is interested in and passionate about, about uh, versus or in addition to areas where they think they want to improve. <laughs> um, so if it's the fact that a student wants to, is maybe struggling through uh, a, 
a foreign language and feels like going abroad to a particular place in the world will help them uh, with that those language skills. And in addition to that, get, get to really meet people from that area and do some service work there. I think that that could be that could be great, and all of these, the the different organizations that I found a commonality between all of them, which was great, is that it really allows you to select the the place where you want to be, the type of service work that you want to do, and also the age of your students. So if there are some that will focus in on some younger students, maybe earlier on in high school, so you know that they are being surrounded with other students who are of a similar age. And I think that especially for if younger students are considering that, being within a group of similarly aged students can be potentially be helpful. But they might want to be around students who are older too, and that might, again, help with that maturity aspect. So all of these, and I mean, these organizations are, are really cool and they really allow to really search for the things that you're, again, either interested in and passionate about and allow you to select that way or maybe think about areas that you're looking to improve um, uh, in your life personally or, you know, in a language or something like that. Um, and you can search for those places in the world as well. Mm-hmm. But I think, I think what we're sort of... Um we want to make sure that everybody gets out of this is that you don't have to pay to volunteer and that the colleges don't need you to go on one of these programs to be impressed with your work. Um, it seems Absolutely. like that's pretty important to note. Yeah. Yeah. And Absolutely. really students. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm sorry if I, maybe you were about to say this students can volunteer at home without these programs. There are reasons to go abroad, like maturity, et cetera. But you really can have just as big of an impact in terms of the college admission process by volunteering at home. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, There are many, many ways to get involved in your local community and do service work, you know, in your, in your community. Um, one website I really like, and I know they've, they've been here before to chat, um, Teen Life. They allow you to, on their website, search in your local community for different service opportunities. You might, or your student might, really just decide, okay, really like working with animals, or I'm excited to work with animals. Maybe that means that they're going to volunteer with a local ASPCA or potentially, you know, uh, a youth group or even in a hospital. I know that that, especially for students who are thinking about working in a hospital when they get older, seeing the ins and outs in the day-to-day of volunteering there can can be great. So there are so many different organizations um, within each community that could really use help. So there's no need, absolutely no need, to, to go abroad to show that you can really be involved in your community and, again, gain those required hours you might have from your high school or a club that you're involved in. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, absolutely. Um, and I also, I mean, one of the re- reasons I just want to make sure that people know that colleges don't require this is that they do understand that these programs are expensive. And so doing something closer to home is, is pretty much always going to be free other than, say, transportation costs. Um, now, one other thing um, that I did want to ask is, um, so should students write their essay about it if they were really passionate about it? <laughs> I, I tend to, I think we both do, uh, discourage students from writing their college essay about uh, going abroad and doing service work there. Um, I think that's mostly just because it's hard to do it originally. I can tell you, having read goodness knows how many thousands of applications during my time in admission, I read about this topic a lot of times, and oftentimes it felt like I was reading the same essay. So, Well, a student might be able to do it in a way that is unique to them. Um, It's not something that I would personally recommend that a student do. How do you feel about it, Sally? I completely agree and definitely try and stay away from some of the sort of, I think students are very sincere when they say things like this, but to say, oh, you you know, I realize that you don't need to have money to be happy or... um, you know, now I understand poverty, you know, it, those those are so well-worn and in some cases almost insulting to say that now you understand poverty because you spent one week with poor people, that you just really need to stay away from things like that. Like, I will say that the student who I worked with who went to Myanmar, she wrote about it 
um, for one of her essays, you know, for a school, not for not her main essay. And I thought it worked very well because she was just she actually was talking about it in terms of, you know, the human rights. She had witnessed some prisoners and it made her think about our own, um, you know, prison system. And so that, you know, she was able to bring it back home in a way that was really interesting and, you know, kind of showed her awakening to issues of human rights. So I thought that that really worked. But a sort of traditional volunteer essay, probably not the best thing to write about if it's volunteering overseas. Um, so, yeah, I completely agree with that. Um, well, any other any other programs that you want to maybe give a shout out to that sounded interesting or anything that I haven't asked you about today? Well, something that I did want to share just from my own personal college experience is that, you know, we often say that colleges don't, you know, service isn't necessarily seen as better or worse than any other activity that you're involved in. Um, and most colleges out there don't actually have a community service requirement, but some colleges out there do. Um, I went to Pittsburgh College myself, and when I was there, at least, we had a uh, a semester of volunteer work that we needed to do. So I would say if this is something that you're really passionate about, if you are really interested in service work, um, looking for different colleges out there that might be a good fit for you might actually have a requirement because that will show that it is something that is really important to them and the students in their community as well. Um, so that's, and I know that Pittsburgh is not the only place out there. I know we discussed there are some um some other schools out there, I would imagine more than a handful, some of them religiously affiliated and some of them not, um, who have uh, this sort of requirement too. So I think that that's something that's really neat and something that really resonated with me as a high school student who really was involved in service and wanted that as a part of her uh, college experience. So, mm-hmm. And I will say that... that. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you did. And I, I wanted to say, too, that even if it's not a requirement, you can ask what percentage of students are involved in volunteer work. And if they have that statistic, you know, it, it might show you that that's pretty important to the college. You know, how, how big is volunteering at their school? So, um, all right, great. Well, thank you so much, Olivia. That was really wonderful. Oh, thank you so much. It was a fun topic to talk about. And I hope that all the students and families out there get as excited about some of these opportunities, whether they be abroad or in your local community, because there are a lot of organizations out there that really could use your help. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right. So we're going to take a short break and then I'll be talking with Shannon Vasconcelos about how to negotiate with colleges for scholarship offers. So stick around. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Are you looking to get more from your relationship? Why is it that some people just seem to have a better sex life, better marriage, and a closer, more meaningful relationship? Find out the best-kept secrets and more on The Sexy Lifestyle with Carol and David. Carol and David will share insight about the swinging lifestyle and how it has strengthened their love and marriage, not to mention their great sex. Tune in every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. As I mentioned before our break, I'm welcoming Shannon Vasconcelos to discuss scholarship negotiation tactics. Welcome, Shannon. Hi, Sally. How are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you doing? I'm great. Good. So let's start with, are scholarships from colleges actually negotiable? Will colleges negotiate? Yeah, and not every college, uh, and you won't be successful every time, um, but you might be surprised at how often folks are successful in negotiating scholarships, so it's always worth a shot. Um, I actually just wrote a, a blog post. If, if listeners want to check it out, it's at blog.getintocollege.com um, about negotiation. And I say in that blog that it, it's very easy to feel powerless in the college admissions process. You know, with your your fate is kind of in somebody else's hand. But this is one place where I really encourage families to kind of grab their power, recognize the power that they have. While, while students are competing to get into colleges, colleges are competing amongst themselves to, um, to recruit the best students. Um, so if you're a desirable student, absolutely try negotiating. And you may be surprised at how often colleges are willing to show you a little bit more money if they think it will be enough to get you there. Mm-hmm. And I'll just say, um, I worked at University of Chicago, which did not negotiate. But okay. even so, when someone tried to negotiate, it didn't impact their admission decision at all. So there really I, is quite literally no downside to it. Exactly. Yeah, no downside at all. I mean, it's, it's you know, maybe the, the, the half hour it takes you to kind of write down a negotiation letter, um, you know, it costs you a little bit of time. That's really it. It's not, they're not going to rescind an admission. They're not going to, uh, you know, take away money you've already, they've already given you because you've annoyed them by trying to negotiate. Literally nothing bad will come of it. Um, so you might as well give it a shot. Mm-hmm. So how do you actually go about negotiating for a higher scholarship? Yeah, so I would, as I think I just referenced, I would start the process in writing. I would send an email to usually the admissions office at the, the college you're trying to negotiate with. At most schools, it's the, the financial aid office deals with need-based financial aid. The admissions office uh, deals with merit scholarships. So if it's a merit scholarship you're trying to negotiate, you're usually dealing with admissions. Though if there's need-based aid in play, it wouldn't hurt to to include the financial aid office uh, as well in your email. I think actually in last week's radio show, they talked specifically about how to appeal for more need-based aid. Um, So today I'm assuming we're talking about scholarships. Uh, So you're usually dealing with admissions, and you send them an email and just explaining you know, very briefly, um, admissions officers are busy this time of year, but you want to say, you know, I'd love to attend your school. You know, you're my first choice school. It's just the money that's holding me back. Um, this other school gave me this great offer that's hard to turn down. You know, is there anything you can do to make my attendance more feasible? That, that's kind of the long and short of it. You'd love to attend their school. It's just the money holding you back. That's the message you want to convey. I would actually attach the kind of better offer or offers you have from other schools, let them know that you're not bluffing. You just send that email in, uh, and then I would maybe follow up if you don't hear anything in a week or two, you know, follow up with a phone call at that point and, you know, just say, hey, I sent this email in. Do you have any updates? Is there any more information you need from me just to make sure, you know, you're not forgotten about? Um, But that's really the basic process. It's pretty easy, and again, it's not a huge investment of time or energy, so uh, there's no big downside to giving it a shot. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have a sense of what the chances of success actually are? Yeah, so 
I haven't seen any really good numbers. You know, there haven't been any real scientific studies done on this process of how often students are successful. I can tell you from our work here at College Coach, we've really, we've tried to kind of keep track of the folks that we've talked to about negotiation and following up with them to find out how successful they are. And we've found with the folks that we have worked with, which may not be representative of the general public, but with the folks that we've worked with, uh, about half the time they're successful uh, in in asking for more money. Um, So, again, there's no downside. You've got a 50-50 shot. which is, you know, if you don't ask for more, you know, you get zero percent shot of getting any more money. So, again, I think it's worth a shot. Again, I've seen success about half the time. Mm-hmm. And do you think you have better chances at a public or a private college? I've seen folks having more luck at the private colleges, um, who are just kind of they have tend to have more discretion. They've got more funds to play with generally. Um, from the outset, and then they, their scholarship review, kind of to generalize, tends to be kind of more holistic. They can kind of, they've got more discretion in the process, whereas very often at public schools, there's, there can be like an exact formula for who gets the scholarship. If you have this GPA or this SAT score, this, this puts you into one scholarship category or another. Um, so... Uh, there's no harm in trying to negotiate with a public school, but I generally wouldn't have grand expectations um, because they, they often do have formulas in, in terms of determining who gets what scholarship amount. Um, one thing to, to kind of look for on a school's website is if they do have a formula, if they do have specific you know SAT or ACT cutoffs for getting to a particular scholarship level or another you know, if you're close, if you barely miss the cutoff to be kind of bumped into the next highest scholarship level, it might be worth your while to take the test again to see, do a little test prep and take the test again, see if you can get up to that next level. And that's another thing that I would include in a negotiation letter is if there's any new information that you've received um, since your initial admissions application was submitted, you don't need to reiterate everything that they already know about you, but if you received um, you know, new higher grades for the last term, you received new test scores that might possibly bump you into the next scholarship category, uh, if you have new information like that that might justify a scholarship increase, you absolutely want to include that in your negotiation letter. Mm-hmm. And so I already mentioned that University of Chicago doesn't negotiate, and I think that's pretty common uh, for the most highly selective schools. Right. What's your sense of that? What about the Ivy League? Do they negotiate? So they don't negotiate scholarship funding. Um, the, the Ivy League schools and the other you know, very most selective schools actually don't offer any merit scholarships at all. So you can't go to them with a scholarship you've received from a less selective university and say, match this scholarship offer. They won't do it. Um, but they do tend to be, those most selective schools that don't give away merit scholarships tend to be very generous with need-based financial aid. So if you do qualify for need-based aid and you've received a better offer from another, what, what they would consider a comparable school, another Ivy League school, or another similarly selective school, um, you can actually bring another school's need-based aid offer to them um, and ask them if there is anything they can do to get into the same ballpark. Um, I have absolutely seen very selective colleges match other colleges' need-based aid offers. Um, some of them are actually very open about it. I think I recently saw on Cornell's website, they say if you uh, receive a better need-based aid offer from another Ivy League school or a, a few, they actually list a few other similarly selective schools, like maybe MIT, Stanford, places like that, uh, if you receive a better aid offer, bring it to our attention. We would love a chance to match it. Uh, and what they basically do is kind of rerun the, the, their numbers, try and kind of back into the same number or better number than what the other college offered. So they don't straight up negotiate. They certainly don't call it that, and I wouldn't call it that when you talk to them. The colleges don't really like that word negotiation, but that's kind of what it is. But again, at the the more selective schools, they won't negotiate merit scholarships, but they will be willing to re-review need-based financial aid. 
Mm-hmm. All right. So we just have a like a minute or so left, but can you negotiate if you apply early decision? No. So that's really the, the only circumstance where negotiations off the table. Uh, if, if folks are regular listeners, they know about early decision. When you apply early decision, you commit to that school. If, if you accept me, I will attend. So that you really don't have the option of comparing offers from other schools. You don't have the option of negotiating, uh, of bringing other offers to their attention. Because when you're accepted early decision, you're supposed to, you know, withdraw all of your applications that you might have out there elsewhere. Uh, and actually, the one and only time I have heard of anything negative coming from negotiation is when a student tried to negotiate with a school. They were accepted to early decision. They were supposed to withdraw their other applications. They did not. They received a nice scholarship offer from another school, and they brought it to their early decision school, asking them to match it. And the early decision school said, you know, absolutely not. You already committed to attending our school. And by the way, you were supposed to withdraw your applications elsewhere, which you didn't. So we're going to call that other school. Um, we're going to rescind our uh, acceptance, and that other school also rescinded their acceptance. Uh, so that, that student was in a whole lot of trouble. Uh, again, that only happened because it was a, a, an early decision application where you really can't negotiate. Outside of early decision, I encourage everybody to do it. But with early decision, you've really committed up front, and there's no room for negotiation. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right. Thanks so much, Shannon. You're very welcome. My pleasure. And thank you to Elise and Olivia for being my guests today. Now I want to tell you about our show next week. Ian Fisher, another guest host, will be back discussing summer programs, this time in the arts, and tax breaks available when you're paying for college. And finally, I want to remind you that you don't have to listen to our shows live. Every show is accessible 24-7 on the Voice America website, and you can also download every show for free on iTunes. If you check out the archives, you'll find last week's show about summer programs focused on sports and the need-based financial aid appeals process, as Shannon just mentioned, um, as well as plenty more. And if you like our show, be sure to rate us on iTunes. It takes only a moment of your time, and it's absolutely free. Last, don't forget, we're here every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time. So check us out. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. Please join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week. We'll be right back.